Thank you for joining us in the copy room, where you get to listen in on thoughtful, vulnerable, and honest conversations among educators who are as fiercely devoted to this profession as you are. My aim is to serve you well, nourishing your teacher's soul so that you can move through your week with just a bit more to offer our kids than you had before you listened. You're working so hard to take care of our kids. My intention for this podcast, ultimately, is to take care of you. I want to thank Dirt Path Publishing, a small independent publishing house dedicated to publishing works for social good, for continuing to support the production of this podcast. With editing and coaching services for writers, these folks know how to have the hard conversations in service to your best work, and they know how to do it with love. Dirt Path Publishing is also proud to announce the release of my new book, Nothing's Missing, A Year of Reckoning, Release, and Remembering Who I Am, written for anyone struggling to release the burdens of perfectionism and the tyranny of shoulds. For more information, go to NicoleLuciani.com. In the meantime, and always, welcome to the copy room. Lisa and I were young teachers together at San Lorenzo High School. She was part of what would become a nationally renowned mathematics department, ushering in a new way of teaching mathematics that made every one of us better, and no one benefited more from this than our kids, except maybe those of us who taught older students who somehow seemed to magically appear to know how to work as a team. Of course it wasn't magic. It was intentional and focused and a part of the DNA of every decision they made. Community belonging, teaching through cultural and linguistic assets, recognizing the inherent genius in our kids. They did all this and more, through math of all things. To a humanities kid like me, who always struggled with math anxiety and learned early how to charm her math teacher and make sure she landed with that same math teacher every year as to not have too much expected of me, I marveled and continue to marvel at all the things those math folks did for our kids. Anna was one of those kids. A student of Lisa's, she was a force of her own, primed and ready for someone like Lisa to hold up a mirror to her brilliance. Their story reminds me so much of my own, told in the episode earlier this season with Mike Matthews. Invitations and the courage to accept them. That's so much of what our job is about. I invite you to this episode and into the remembering that there's no such thing as other people's children and that we belong to one another. I'll welcome you to Copy Room Conversations, to Lisa and Anna. I'm so thrilled that you're here. Um, For our listeners, they don't know that we've had um, several starts and stops on trying to have this conversation because my... uh, my issues continue to get in our way. So I want to thank you both uh, from the bottom of my heart, one for being here and two for um, sticking with us as we finally found a place to, to have a conversation. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Yes, yes. So uh, this season is called Paying It Forward. And it's all about uh, teachers who became teachers, at least in part because of a teacher they had in their life. And the first episode is me talking to that teacher for me. And um, many of the other episodes are like the two of you where we're bringing folks together 
to kind of share how it is you came to this space to to meet and to learn from one another and then to go on and continue your teaching career. So um, that's that's kind of the big lens on what we'll talk about today. But I'd like to kind of start earlier than that. And Lisa, we'll start with you. A little backstory about how you came to the work of teaching. Um, maybe your experience growing up, particularly in school, how that informed you becoming a teacher. Share a little bit with us. Sure. So I grew up in small town, Minnesota, really tiny place, 4,000 people in the southeastern corner of the state, right on the Mississippi. And my dad grew up in a farm family uh, where if you were a woman, the only way to get off the farm was to become a nun or to get married because no Mm -hmm. one was going to send you to college. And uh, so I had several aunts who became nuns and their focus was education Uh, I don't know that that really informed my thinking about becoming a teacher because I never thought about that when I finally got to university. But, um, but as I look back, I know that there are, you know, there are educators in my family and people who are really, really committed to doing education in a way that's different from what we usually see. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I did go to the University of Minnesota, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. In fact, I eventually ended up on this track to become a photojournalist because I love taking pictures. And essentially, I just took a lot of photography classes and I continued taking math classes and German because those were things that I really enjoyed. And I got to a point where I needed to make a decision because I needed to graduate. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I... did this program through the College of Education that allowed me to go into Minneapolis high schools and tutor. So I'd go into math classes and tutor kids, and that's when I decided this is this is the direction for me. I just felt so comfortable in schools, and it felt like I was coming home. Like it was my my space, and I knew how to be there. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what that's what got me into the classroom. That's lovely. Thank you. Anna, tell us about your journey. Yeah, well, I actually always wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> when I was younger, I would mm. sit my, I'm the oldest of five, and so I would sit my four siblings down and I would teach them math and I would like give them these worksheets and I would create these worksheets for them with math problems. And <laughs> um, that was my form of fun was to play school and I would be the teacher. And I remember telling my dad I wanted to be a teacher and <laughs> he said, well, you're going to die of hunger. <laughs> and so that really stuck with me. It really made me turn off that switch, made me think like I can't mm. be a teacher if I'm going to disappoint my parents. And, um, you know, I was the first to go to college and, I was the first to graduate from college, and I so I studied business because I loved all the math in it, the finance, the accounting, the statistics, the calculus. Like I loved how much all of the numbers, all of the money, um, and I thought I'd, I'll just be rich and you know mm-hmm. buy my parents mm-hmm. a house and take care of them, right? <laughs> mm. And then I went into the corporate world and was miserable and hated it. I knew it was not the place where I wanted to be. Um, got married and had my first child and when I was pregnant I told my husband Mm -hmm. I don't want to go back to Mm -hmm. a job that I hate and be away from my kid 
mm-hmm. especially at a job that I hate. And I told him, you know, I've always wanted to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to Lisa about my life was I was a stay-at-home mom for three years. And I was like, uh, you know, Lisa, I've always wanted to be a teacher. And um, also had a lot of tutoring experience, also loved it. I worked with um, nonprofit organizations that where I would, they would send us, as a college student, they would send me to middle schools mm-hmm. and we would help the students. And I loved it. I loved it. <clears throat> and I remember telling Lisa, like, I've always wanted to be a teacher. And mm-hmm. she said, you know, there's this great program at Stanford and you can get your master's and credential mm-hmm. and I can help mm-hmm. you. I can write your letter of recommendation. <laughs> you just have to study for the test. And I started studying. I just studied and, um, you know, took all the math tests. And, and what applied, year approximately was this just to help orient us? I got into the Stanford Teacher okay. Education Program in 2013. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, when you were a student, did you, because um, Lisa was your teacher, your math teacher, right? Um, did you used to watch her and think like, I want to do this, but I know that I shouldn't because I don't want to disappoint my parents. Or like you said, if that switch been turned off and you just um, connected with her, just human to human. Yeah, definitely the latter. Like I definitely had turned off the switch, didn't think I would be a teacher, um, and then just connected with Lisa. She taught me as a freshman, I believe in eighth grade, right? Ninth algebra. Grade. Yeah. No, ninth mm-hmm. grade. I remember. I remember it was algebra. And then mm-hmm. I had her later on for calculus. Yeah, but remember algebra two as well? Calculus. Oh my gosh. Remember what remember what you did for algebra, algebra two? two as well? Oh my Okay, so this is so Anna, right? And this is part of actually what I'm so impressed by uh, with her is she was in another, she was assigned to a different teacher for Algebra 2. Okay. But she, do you want to tell? Okay, so it's it's jarring. (laughs) It's jarring the memory. Do you want to tell it? Yeah, I do remember now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's why I didn't (laughs) say that I had you for Algebra 2, but I pretty much did. Yeah, I was assigned to another teacher Mm -hmm. for Algebra 2, and I just did not understand the class. I didn't get it. I was lost. And um, I was also a TA, so I was a teacher assistant. And so I had a period where I could go to Lisa's class and be in her Algebra 2 class. I would go to her Algebra 2 class and take the class with Lisa. (laughs) I'd come back to my regular Algebra 2 class Mm. and I'd get it. You know, I I would know what to do. So yeah, technically I did. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. (laughs) Um, Tell me about your relationship as teacher and student. Maybe some things you learned from one another, things you respected about one another. Where was this I mean, now as adults, you clearly have become friends. So let's talk back to when uh, the seeds were were sowed, so to speak. What 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 do you want to share about the other person? Like, there's so much. Anna and I have been friends for the duration of our adult life. So even when I left San Lorenzo, uh, she was part of the work that I did in my dissertation, and uh, and I've mm. gone to family functions of hers, and she's traveled to 
places where I've lived across the country and I went to her wedding in Mexico and, um, you know, we've just stayed connected. Uh, and I, I think that's because of, um, well, it's because of a real respect for each other, but also just a real love, uh, and connection that Mm -hmm. we've always had. And, and I don't know why, um, Maybe it's because of your tenacity, Anna, in searching me out and con- continuing to figure out how to stay connected with me while we were, you know, in the high school. Um, but I know it's taken a, it's definitely required a concerted effort on both of our parts. It's not like this has just happened, uh, mm-hmm. especially when I left California and she's having children and, mm-hmm. um, you know, life just takes you in crazy crazy directions but we've always been able to yeah reconnect via phone via um in-person visits and Mm -hmm. I've been I just feel really lucky not only with Anna but with other students who have allowed me to be part of their lives because Mm -hmm. that's that's what's changed my direction you know when I came to San Lorenzo I was really quite a, a naive little white woman who Mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of interaction with uh, people of color in diverse situations. I mean, I had this tremendous belief and capacity to create spaces in which everyone felt uh, like they belonged. At least that was my goal. Mm -hmm. And, and I also truly, and I continue to believe this, that every young person is capable of being successful in, Mm -hmm. in learning mathematics. So I, I always brought that to the table. You mentioned um, honest tenacity in, in pursuing your friendship, but also there, there that you know how we do one thing is how we do everything, right? So there must be a tenacity in in her that you respect overall. I was just telling Anna this uh, that the thing I am most have most learned from her is this: she she has. Uh, a slow burn for how she moves towards her goals. I tend to be very, uh, I, I feel a, a huge sense of urgency and I, I re- react that way and we got to get this done. and It's got to happen now. And Anna is just so solid and reserved in lots of ways. And that sometimes I have wondered, ah, I wonder what she thinks or I wonder what she really believes because I don't see any forward movement, but she's always moving forward. She's always got something in the works. Uh, I saw that, like she just explained when she was taking her high school math classes. I saw it when she applied for college. I saw it when she decided to become a math teacher and she was challenged with the the math exams to just get accepted to Stanford. Um She's just always, there's, she's always making progress and she knows what she wants and she eventually gets there. And she does the same thing with young people. And I think that's why they feel so respected and comfortable with her because there's, they know that she cares. They know that she loves them and she believes in them. And it's not this rushed process. It's not like, you know, that we just have to manage it now. It's, it will happen. It will eventually, we will all get there. Mm, like a steadfastness. Almost. Yes, that's the word. Yeah. Thank you. Mm, mm, that's lovely. Anna, what, what, what do you think about what you've learned from Lisa over the years as a student, as, as a grown-up? 
Yeah, well, I remember being in her classroom and just feeling, I was a, an introvert in high school and I was very shy, very quiet. Um, and then in her classroom, mm. we worked in groups and I had to talk, you know, to my group, my team members. And then she had students present at the front and mm. I feel like I found my voice in her class, you know, because I had ideas and then she made me feel really smart and made me feel really capable. Um, and it was just the classroom mm-hmm. culture and the environment that she had set up. And it was just safe to be myself and to be, to have a voice and to have opinions and to have mm-hmm. um, wrong answers. I remember convincing the class once at the yeah. state <laughs> I class and it was a wrong answer. <laughs> And somehow, like, Lisa got me to finally realize it was a mistake. And then I remember a student saying, mm. but she was so confident. Mm. You know? And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, like, mm-hmm. to me, confident? That, no. <laughs> I was so not me in, other, in, mm-hmm. anywhere, in any other context. It was not me. Except for math class because of the safe space. And so I remember presenting at the front, like, always raising my hand, asking questions, um, having this sense of, of freedom and being able to yeah. <laughs> to make mistakes and be myself, you know, and um, and so I no worries. Listen, we've all been there. Do you go ahead? <laughs> Hold on, that's so funny. <laughs> Just scream louder. She'll eventually yeah. answer. Yeah, at some point, mine used to do the same. Ma, 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 ma. Right. Right. Now the dog does it. <laughs> okay. Everything okay? Okay. Oh my goodness. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. You can solve all the things. Do you feel like you, um, that's a really (laughs) point of intention for you when you think about your own students in your own classroom is creating that same kind of space where you could thrive for your students now? Oh, a hundred percent. Like a hundred percent. I completely uh, want to be the teacher that Lisa was and the way that she made her students feel like I remember the way Mm -hmm. that she spoke to students, right? Like she saw our strengths and she saw our ability. Like she didn't, I remember one of, one of my teammates um, was failing his classes and, Lisa was like, aren't you applying to college? And he was like, no, I have such terrible mm. grades. And she was like, but you're so smart, you know? I remember her, like, the way that that student felt and, like, yeah, I am smart, you know? And, mm. But I'm failing all these classes. And that's how mm. we felt. That's how she made us feel. She made us feel smart and capable and confident. And I feel like I took that with me to college. You know, I remember her... Uh, stopping me, I was like, a, I was a junior, I think, and she stopped me in the hallway and she was like, are you applying to AP Calculus? And I was like, no, that's too hard for me. That's like college level stuff. I'm not, I can't do that. And she was like, yes, you can. You can totally do it. You know, I'll be there to support mm-hmm. you. Like, you need to apply to my calculus class. And I did. I applied to her AP Calculus class and I felt successful and I felt supported. And, and um, you know, it's the, it's what I, I, I 
aim to be that way, right? Mm-hmm. To always have high expectations of my students. Right. And to never feel pity for them, right? Because despite my circumstances and having a pretty bad home life, and she never felt pity mm. for me, and therefore she never lowered her expectations. And I think that's super important. And that's something that I always think about when I when I work with my students. Um, and then I took I took all of those things that I learned in high school. You know. The, confidence, the asking questions, the raising my mm. hand, having a voice, I took that with me to college. And I remember being in my calculus classes in college and always raising my hand. And I'd be like the only one raising my hand and asking clarifying questions and, you know, even like pinpointing mistakes and, and people <laughs> just look at me like, who is this, who is this person? <laughs> um, but yeah, I took those skills with me. What a gift. What a, an extraordinary gift. And Lisa, for you to hear that, right? That's Oh, that's, I'm just crying. Yeah. Yeah. I you would be crying more if I gave myself the chance, but it's, that was so long ago. And to hear that these are the things that have stuck with you, like the residue of our experiences together just is really, really special. But not just that, like also... Like Lisa went on to get a PhD, right? She graduated and then moved on to get a PhD and she's always been this feminist. And so I've always mm. looked up to her. I've always looked up to you, you know, and like really wanted mm. to follow in your footsteps. Like I want to get a PhD, you know, like I, it's like unheard of in my family. That's something that we don't, yeah, that we like nobody has a PhD that I know of except for Lisa, <laughs> Right. And, um, and this, like, always, Lisa is just this, like, powerful woman that I, I want to be like, right? And I <laughs> want to, like, follow in her footsteps. And, and she's also very um, open and vulnerable. That's something that I've learned as well. Um, she's very open and vulnerable and, and willing to share her story. And so she let us know her. Right. And I think a lot of teachers sometimes um, are afraid to be vulnerable with young people. And I think that's something that I've learned from her is that it's okay to be vulnerable with my students and just be honest and just tell them the truth. But you you let me do that. Right. Mm -hmm. I came I came from a space. My family didn't share emotions unless Mm -hmm. they were considered good. Right. You could be happy. You could be funny. You could be you know, joyful, but you couldn't be sad or scared in my family because no one knew what to do with those things. And, but when I was with, especially I think black and brown students, there was a, there was a way of being that afforded me to be more of myself. There was an Mm -hmm. expectation that you, you just said stuff. You didn't mm-hmm. hide it and it might sound inappropriate, but it was honest. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. one student, right? I mean, I had to learn a lot about, I had to learn a lot when I moved to Oakland <laughs> and I remember, I, I, I don't remember what I said, but I remember a student saying, Miss Jill, you can't say that here. Like totally mm. calling me out on something that I had said that was completely racially inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And 
and me realizing also that there were students that I was afraid of, like my, the young men who were very large and black Mm -hmm. and in my classroom, I realized I'm, I'm afraid of you. And I was Mm -hmm. so, and I'm going to cry. I was so ashamed that I felt that way. And I knew that I needed to get help. Like literally, like I needed to learn. I needed to figure out if I wanted to stay here, how to understand the experiences that my students were having so that I could be in relationship with them um, mm-hmm. in and create spaces that hopefully were safe. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's when you say I created that for you, we did that together. That mm-hmm. was a co-constructed environment. And that's how I think about all of the work I do and how I live my life is that we're co-constructing experiences. We're co-constructing life together. Mm-hmm. And, and I just am so grateful when people are willing to join me in that experience because yeah. just like the work we do with our students, we're creating, we're creating these third spaces, right. To be a little academic, yes, we're creating these yes. third spaces that couldn't exist without either one of us. Mm-hmm. And that to me, there's nothing more beautiful than that. Mm-hmm. That's so lovely. I always think about um, our students and us being in a feedback loop, right? And we're the leaders, so we go first, right? We set the tone. And if if you've got it right, what returns to you is just as beautiful, if not more than beautiful, than what you've put out. And um, then you can continue in this space together through the course of the year, if we're fortunate enough. And, um, and Anna, just the way you talked about your, your folks who you worked with in your class, they were your teammates, right? They weren't your friends or the other students or even your group members. They were your teammates. And I think that is so illustrate, how, I don't know, what's the word? Illustrative, illustrative. Illustrative. Yes, of, of what uh, Lisa was able to do you know, there with you all. And, and I think Lisa, to your point about direct communication, particularly as someone from the Midwest, you could have easily shut down and, and called it rude or whatever, you know, district, all, any of the D's, and right? And sometimes I did. Defiance. And sometimes perfect, it probably sure. was, right? <laughs> because kids are kids. And at the same time, there's a there's a, a value. You had an inherent value for your kids and a humility to step into that saying, I don't know, teach me, right? And in doing that, you have um, helped support a legacy through Anna now, who is doing the same. And Anna will have her own legacy of students who are able to be and do because of her, right? And... Um, what a gift to be on this call together and have the chance to, to share that with one another. Um, I'm wondering the most important thing a student or a member of their family has taught you. Anna, let's start with you. Um, we're all learners in this profession, right? So what's been a really important thing a student or a member of their family has taught you? I think families want what's best for their kids. You know, I really, I really believe that all families want what's best for their kids and, and that they trust us, you know, they trust us as educators and, um, 
you know, because sometimes I've heard the parents blamed, right, for when students aren't doing well. And I think um, what I've learned is that all parents want what's best for their children. And I have this big responsibility to see them as human, right? To see their humanity and to see their strengths and to uh, value that. And so um, I'm entrusted with this this time, right? To spend with their children and um, how do I help my students feel seen and heard and valued? And how do I look for their strengths and name them and help them feel confident and capable in mathematics? You know, and when I have a parent-teacher conference, like I want to start with those strengths, right? And I want parents to know that I see their child and I see all the beauty in their child. Um, and I think that's that's one thing that's one thing I've learned from parents. That's lovely. Have you come to a better understanding of your own family in teaching kids? Oh, for sure. Yes, <laughs> I have three boys. My middle one with ADHD, diagnosed ADHD, and um, he has he's been super misunderstood in school. Right, always getting in trouble because he's so hyperactive and always moving around and very blunt. So he just tells you what he thinks and, you know, very honest, <laughs> um, very active. And, and he has a hard time with traditional school. He can't sit down for very long and do a worksheet, right? Like he, he's struggled with reading before. And, um, and so it's definitely helped me understand my students that have ADHD or have a learning difference, right? And know that they're still capable. They're still totally capable. Um, and it's just what they need might be different. And teaching has helped me understand my own children, right? And that they're so different. All three of them are so different. They learn differently. They have uh, like different interests. And so I feel like I have become I've had, I've had to learn to be more patient and more um, like really really observe my students and observe my kids and look at what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they think and why they think that you know I, I really both parenting is and parenting has helped me be a better teacher I feel like and, and teaching has helped me be a better parent. So true. I felt, um, I remember being a young teacher and never, ever calling home to parents. And, uh, I just, I don't, I mean, I was so young. I started teaching when I was 21 and I, I taught wow. at San Lorenzo after going to San Lorenzo, right. I was teaching the younger siblings of my high school friends and I never called home. I was just so arrogant. Like, well, they're not going to listen to their parents anyway, so I'm just not going to call. And then I had a mother who um, was absolutely right in the fact that her daughter got a D and I never called home. And her, the D that she got in my class kept her from applying to a four-year university. And I never called home. That was my fault. And. I started to think about it so much differently when you think about, oh my God, 
what if my child's parent didn't call me and let me know, right? Because they always tell you everything's fine. How is school? Fine, fine, fine. You know, right? So if you don't hear from the, and I, I just, that mother changed everything for me. And then also now, and I, my youngest has ADHD as well. And you start to see the holes in the system that you didn't know existed um, from your place of privilege, right? Your place, your place of experience in school. Um, yeah, I, I completely relate to that idea that teaching made me a better parent and parent made me a better teacher. Um, Lisa, tell us about a lesson you learned from a, a student or a, a member of their family, because this is such important stuff to reflect on, I think. So in general, I tend to think uh, big picture rather than mm-hmm. in, in details or specifics. Um, big picture is that teaching at San Lorenzo and especially teaching mostly sheltered classes, mm-hmm. I learned that Right. Again, I'm going to use your word, Nicole, arrogance, that I, I had a lot of arrogance around my single story of how mm. the world was and mm-hmm. how we should live in it and how we should be. Um, I, had, I grew up with very strict rules about how you were supposed to act and speak and look in order to fit in. And, you know, I didn't see myself mirrored back to me in my students at San Lorenzo. Had, you know, maybe a handful of white students in my entire tenure there. So um, I was blessed with this, this completely new perspective on, um, on different ways of of being human. Um, and I was lucky enough to be invited into families' homes for, for meals. Uh, I was lucky enough to travel with some of my students back to their home countries where our roles were very switched, where I became the student and they became the teacher because when I'm in Shanghai and my student speaks Shanghainese and I don't, I mm-hmm, need mm-hmm. to completely rely on her and her family in order for my survival, essentially. Um, I remember coming back from a trip to, uh, to Hong Kong and I would travel every summer and I would bring, this is still when we have photo albums. So I'd bring my photo albums into (laughs) school to share with my kids, you know, this is where I've been. And I remember one of my students saying, Miss Jilk, that picture is right around the corner from where I live. Oh my God. And this was on the Island of Macau in Hong Kong. Wow. I was like, okay. So what it did was it just changed, again, changed my perspective on like who this, who this person was, but also on like my, my way of, of growing up and dressing and speaking and acting and moving through the world wasn't the only way. And, Mm -hmm. and I think most importantly, what that did for me was it allowed me to just be a better human being. Like it it actually has allowed me to be more of who I am because Mm -hmm. those rules that I grew up with were limiting me and my own humanity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, um, going out to dance, you know, the Latin dances during 
lunch at San Lorenzo mm-hmm. and looking mm-hmm. like a complete fool, <laughs> but wanting to experience that with my young people or, um, or yeah, going to a dinner. I remember going to a dinner with, um, an Afghani family. Mm. And when I got there and dinner was ready, the mother and the children left the room and I was left to eat with the father because it wasn't appropriate for a guest to eat with the mother and the children. So they ate in a separate room and I ate with the father and I was terrified. Um, (laughs) I was like, I don't know what to do with this. What happened to my girls? They're in the other room. I want to visit and talk with them. And I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to learn from this. Like this is Mm -hmm. fascinating and and it again just opened me up, mm-hmm. um, and I'm just, I'm grateful. Like it has teaching at San Lorenzo changed the course of my life, both professionally and personally. Mm. Um, and I am so so lucky that I had that opportunity. Yeah, I feel the same. So um, in this in this podcast, we ask the last three questions are always the same, no matter the season, um, because I think. They're really important questions. So one being the lightest of the three, do you all have a favorite song to get ready for a good day of teaching? And it's okay if you don't. Some people are like, absolutely, here it is. Some people are like, no, no, I don't. I don't do, I, I get really overwhelmed by noise. Mm. And so mm-hmm. um, before I teach anything, it needs to be quiet so I can get centered and grounded and feel like I'm ready to, to be present with the with the folks I'm working with so no I don't do I don't do music I mean I do music but just not in preparation yeah uh yeah yeah same same like I love music but maybe during lunchtime not before class (laughs) I also feel like I need to be ready and focused um but recently I've been asked um what would be your walk-up song you know like when you walk up walk into a room there's like what would be your walk-up song and so I think there's this uh, salsa song that's called um, Vivir la Vida or Vivir Mi Vida by Mark Anthony. And it's just about like live your life and be happy. And it's super upbeat, makes you want to dance and um, just, just be happy and live your life. I'm going to change the question to exactly that because we have a lot of introverts <laughs> in my, among my guests. Um, and they're like, no, uh, no I don't do that. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. So, oh my God. No, absolutely not. In fact, um, I, I, I like to, I'm putting together a, a song list. So I think that is a perfect way to ask that question. Thank you for reframing that. Okay. Um, so all three of us, like, you know, we care deeply about this profession and we believe in this profession or we wouldn't be here. And I also think that we can agree that there are kids who are perpetually underserved and predictably underserved by our system. And when we think about creating a system that lives up to the promise of what we've all been told public education should be, there's not going to be one answer. There's going to be all of us coming to the table with our own unique gift, right? And I I love this Indigo Girls song. Uh, There's a lyric in it that says, if you have a care in the world, you have a gift to give. So I wonder, what do you care about so deeply in our profession that it's become 
it's become your puzzle piece that if we all laid all the pieces out of our gifts to put this together to create a system that serves our kids, what would be your piece? I would say that I I think I do have the gift of humanizing mm-hmm. mathematics and treating students with dignity, with respect, mm-hmm. and as geniuses. Beautiful. Thank you. I think all students want to learn and um, it's my responsibility to figure out what their strengths are. And to teach through those. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Thank you. Lisa, what do you think? Well, you can tell that Anna's a product of being in my classrooms uh, because mm-hmm. <laughs> my, you know, I remember uh, my when I was a substitute, a long-term sub at San Lorenzo, and um, I was collecting homework. And uh, students like, Miss Jilk, we don't do homework around here. We don't have time for homework. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is, mm-hmm. of course you do. Like, <laughs> why wouldn't mm-hmm. you? <laughs> and mm-hmm. that was coming from both a very naive and ignorant space where I didn't understand the world in which my students were living, right? Where they're working outside of school, they're caring for family members, maybe they're raising their siblings, um, you know, in addition to many other things. But it also came from a place of, um, but you have all of these challenges and you can do your homework, Right. Because that's at least in at the time, it was part of being a successful student. Right. It was part of, wait, this is another opportunity for you to learn and to demonstrate your brilliance. And I want you to do it. Uh, And that's what I've always brought with me to every space is I didn't understand that we were supposed to lower our expectations for students who are poor or students who didn't speak English yet or students who. Uh, students of color, I didn't know that that was something people actually did. Um, And of course, you know, again, that was very naive of me, but it's also a great strength of mine that I go in knowing that I have high expectations and you have so much, as Anna said, brilliance inside of you that we can excavate and connect to and build on. And that it's my job to create spaces in which you're willing to to show that off so that we can move you forward and I will show up for you. Like I'm I'm not gonna hold you to high expectations and then say good luck with that, right? I'm actually gonna show up and support you uh, so that we can again collectively uh, create that success together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Thank you. Yeah, I heard that in the earlier part of our conversation and in having it circle back and bookend the end, that notion of um, pity, right? And how crippling pity is and really talk about arrogance and like white savior-ish, right? Who needs that? That's bullshit. Um, And it also implies that there are not gifts there to draw on, right? When we all know... Our kids are extraordinary and if we just take the time to consider things that are outside the norm, maybe, of what typically would be seen as brilliance. So I appreciate both of you so much for bringing that forward. Lisa, you were going to say something else? There, 
Yeah, there's another thing that I hear in what Anna's saying, and, and I know that uh, this is something that I strongly believe and act on as well, is that we need to stop blaming students yeah. for their lack of success. Yeah. And it makes me crazy when I hear teachers saying things like, well, they can't do that. They'll never be able to do that. I'm really sorry for these kids. They're just not those kind. Mm. Um, I think, no, this is about you. Mm -hmm. This is about you as the instructor. This is about me. This is my job. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm here. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that Anna and I both do is we, we don't, we take the, on the responsibility to, really dig out the brilliance in our students, mm-hmm. um, instead of blaming mm-hmm. them. And, um, and yeah, that's a huge strength on, our, on both of our parts. It really is. You know, too, I love the story, Anna, that you told about Lisa, um, telling you to, to sign up for that AP calculus class. I had the exact same experience when I was a student at San Lorenzo. And at that point there were no AP classes. This was the very first one in the entire history of the school. And it was like, heck no, I'm not doing that. I'm not smart enough like those kids, right? But there was an invitation from someone you respect. And when you get that invitation from someone you respect, and you can tell it's authentic, right? Kids are very smart. They know that if it's a bullshit invitation or not. But Lisa invited you into a conversation and you were brave enough to say yes. And because of that, look where we are. Right. That is, um, that's, that's an amazing. Do you remember your A plus test exam? Do you still have it? I don't think I have it, but I remember. Anna got a. I remember you saying, like, I I was grading this and I didn't know who this was. And I was like, oh my goodness. And got a big A plus. (laughs) Every single problem was correct in AP calculus. It was, I don't care if you call it blue or an A plus, like, I don't care what we call it, but the fact that yeah. she had learned and could demonstrate that much understanding, um, in something that she initially had come in, not having any, uh, confidence around was, was absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, Lisa always believed in me and her students, right? Like she always believed in us and probably more than we believed in ourselves and, and also trusted our decisions. Like I remember her telling me once, I, you always make the right decision. So I trust your decisions, you know, and that all that gift, that gift has given me so much um, confidence in the decisions that I do make, you know, because yeah, I do make good decisions. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, that's so powerful. All right. So um, our last question is our quick tip takeaway. We're in the coffee room. I'm cutting strips of papers. You're punching holes. You're at the machine trying to get it to unjam. <laughs> Always. Right? Whatever it is that we did a million times. <laughs> as, we're, as we're all walking out to first period, what might you uh, offer us? Kind of light or serious, um, practical or impractical to, to wish us a good day and serve us well? I would say think of a student you have not connected with yet or you have trouble connecting with. Think of that student and think about their, your interactions. Just think about that student. And now name three strengths. So think about you know, whether you have trouble naming their strengths. Um, 
about uh, how you can name three authentic strengths. Mm-hmm. Like authentic, mm-hmm. specific, like real true strengths. And those strengths mm-hmm. that, um, teachers might have trouble connecting. That's great advice. Thank you. Lisa? Uh, just bring your whole self to the classroom. I see too many teachers who mm-hmm. try to leave parts of their identities outside the classroom door, and it really, in my opinion, gets in their way of of creating the relationships that matter. And um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, be you. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right, friends. What a great gift to be able to send a, spend a Sunday morning with you. Thank you so much for being here. I wish you all the best. Thanks, Nicole. This was fabulous. Thank you. This was yes, great. thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk to each other and to hear each other. Anna, it was, thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing your precious time with us. My hope is it gave you some respite from your worries and some time to remember that we belong to one another and that there's no such thing as other people's children. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. These three things make a big difference in our ability to connect teachers to one another in service to each other and our kids. We also want to thank Dirt Path Publishing for partnering with us on this podcast. The mission of Dirt Path is to publish work for social good. They are proud to include copy room conversations under that banner. For more information on coaching and editing services, or if you have a book you want to publish that you know will serve the greater good, visit dirtpathpublishing.com.